0: The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harrah's Resort SoCal in 2024. Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Hey everyone, today I'm talking to about Tran, director of Paper Tigers. It's a new action comedy movie out now in theaters across the U.S. and streaming video-on-demand platforms. Bao and I talk about the making of Paper Tigers and the long road that went into getting the movie made. So please
1: join us. Hey man, how are you? Thanks for I'm having good.
0: me. I'm good. Um, so how did your family end up in uh, Olympia, Washington?
1: Well, yeah, uh, my parents... Uh, and uh, my brother and my sister, they left Vietnam uh, after the war, so after, um, kind of shortly after the fall of Saigon, and uh, they were part of that old people generation, uh, and they were, they came to Thailand as a way of, uh, you know, as their first stop out of Vietnam, and uh, it was, I think it came down to two sponsors, it was two of my uncles, one was in Olympia, the other, Olympia, Washington, the other was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and so I think uh, we ended up going to the right uncle. <laughs> I don't know how that's the right good way to say it, but I think we kind of lucked out. So we went to Olympia, Washington, uh, and stayed and sponsored uh, with uh, what, my uncle, my uncle they, and his family there.
0: Why do you think they went to Olympia?
1: I don't know. I think it might be. Hmm, I don't no, that's a good question. I never. I, I think. Um, I think it was partly because maybe it was. Um, maybe closer i guess somehow i don't know if it was like an easier geographical touch but maybe there was a just kind of an easier uh thing where i think it could have been also my uncle was there a little bit longer than my other uncle in oklahoma so that like this settled and things were a little bit more secure and you know to help you know uh you know welcome to the new country there's they knew the process more when i Um, that's a good question i should ask about that
0: well what was it like uh, you know how there's all
1: those gaps and those things like you kind of know like the other thing but then you don't really know the actual like little little motive things it's funny
0: yeah that that's the thing about like uh, these podcasts now it's like we're able to sort of sit down and take a minute to kind of reflect on the reasons why our you know our parents or grandparents did certain things and historically why things were the way they they they've become you know we can sit and breathe and take time to kind of explore these these things. What what was it like for you growing up?
1: Um, fond memories, yeah. I think everything I have was just happy. Um, really, it was a small town and L- Olympia was relatively, it was the capital of the state, but it, it's kind of a small town and pretty close knit. So a lot of the Vietnamese community really was, um, you know, the center of activity and stuff like that, Vietnamese American activity um and whatnot and at that time it's you know also the kind of like you know things were less more open and more less uh like closed off and i just remember the story of, you know we would often drive up to seattle uh which is the bigger town and has a Chinatown, and you can get like probably better ingredients for you know vietnamese food or asian food and whatnot and uh you know but at that time you had a phone book uh to get directions it's not like you had gps or anything uh trying to explain to the the young ones out there but um uh, um, but you know, you, my parents, I guess sometimes we we'd get lost and they go to the gas station phone booth and they'd look up a win or a Tran or wow. some, like some names that like help ask for directions. So they just call them randomly up, say, I'm lost. Can you help me? And then they would say, what are you trying to do? Where are you going? Like, why don't you come over? We're having flow or whatever. Cause it was just like that really just kind of like intimate, um, connection. So I really, you know, have that. I don't, I don't remember going over, but I I just remember my parents saying like they were welcome, like even just random phone calls people, you know, were maybe so, so in need of community and connection with other Vietnamese, you know, Americans and, and, and even at that time, things were safer, you know, you left your doors unlocked. So it's part of that whole kind of like different, um, different time. So, um, yeah, it's just like a really sweet, um, togetherness community, you know. There would be all these, you know, and then there's a Vietnamese school that I remember kind of ducking out. My dad was like the principal, so I was like, I was like kind of ducking out on a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, just a really fun memories um, with that community, but also kind of growing up, um, I guess, in the American world, because it was still a small town and things were pretty close knit and low key already. So,
0: yeah, what what can you go into what uh, you were saying about your father being the principal of this Vietnamese yeah. school? Or-
1: yeah well my father was a was a teacher in, in vietnam where he taught english in, in, in high school and um, and so when he came to um olympia him and several others because you know this generation that generation tend to be academics for you know a certain type of um social um order uh so they all kind of gathered together and started um like a vietnamese community school. first of all vietnamese community but also focused on uh, having a Vietnamese language school. So they were on Friday nights, and, uh, you know, all the kids in the community, you know, had different classes and all, everyone was volunteering and teaching, um, teaching a Vietnamese class. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of an interesting experience with me and my peers. And that's how I kind of, you know, made friends. There's quite a lot of people out of Olympia that, you know, for some reason, kind of reached notoriety and different things. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing kind of looking back and watching everybody kind of grow to grow into their own strength, um but I think it's you know a huge influence from the, just that small Vietnamese oh, can, community.
0: Can you name a few of the people that came out of that time era?
1: Yeah, mean we have me, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. um But um, I love your humor. Yeah, I'm speaking broadly. <laughs> always love your humor.
0: Always... We'll get into that too. I, I I find it always fascinating to hear you talk.
1: <laughs> um, uh, yeah so not just the specific Vietnamese school but even my producer Alan Duong, uh, you know was from the Olympia he was I was Catholic and he was he's Buddhist so we maybe had kind of different um, circles but still like the 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 temple and then the church communities you know still had some interaction so he you know he came out of that and I believe tying Nguyen the uh, the rapper the fashion designer oh, the t- uh, t- no this fashion designer yeah um came out of that um that community as well. And Tom Tan is another uh writer, journalist, uh um uh podcaster. And she came out of the environment as well. So it's like like kind of at least counting four of us. And I'm sure there's a couple others that we don't know of. Uh but it's just it's just funny for all to kind of like realize we came from this small space. So like just to underline the point, like Olympia was a small town, right? There wasn't yeah. like that much going on.
0: Yeah, and four notable, very notable people I I know of every uh person. And you know, it it's that it shows how important sort of like community is, right? Like you get these people who have these like-minded interests in culture and you get them together and they produce these people that go on to um further the sort of like the ideas of of their own culture and and community.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and come to think of it, even when I moved to Seattle, there were still events in Olympia that were going on. And then I made the drive, it's about an hour away and just kind of going back and, uh, you know, attend the events or something, or my parents or family, you know, we go back and attend certain events, even when we have moved, you know, like 10, 20, 35 years ago, you know, so that that's, a, I guess it's fond memories for everyone and just the friendships that were made, even though they've all moved, you know, some of them have moved to San Jose, some of them have moved to warmer climates, you know, so it's, a, it's another thing when, kind of step down just because that was your first either sponsor opportunity or but it wasn't necessarily your city of choice right so i think when they establish themselves then they find a way to go to warmer climates and you know where they can actually be um you know have a choice or say and where how they want to live and where they want to live
0: so when you're a kid right do you sort of see the world in terms of film or arts where, where did you get the inspiration to take the journey of becoming a filmmaker
1: that was a bit uh a long and winding road but I, I guess I say I'm a late bloomer because I didn't really get into really want to make films so I was like 12 but like you know when I hear stories of Spielberg I hear like six and five I'm like oh my gosh those they really got into it early so but 12 <laughs> like, is pretty damn um,
0: early man 12 is early
1: uh yeah 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 looking back for sure um yeah but even just going up you know uh from mm-hmm. let's say from up to age of 12 you know i was always just a fan you know we'd go and rent uh videotapes from chinatown you know those whole stacks of you know um you would call them like tv serials <inaudible> of of hong kong <inaudible> right from uh, yeah. hong kong and tvb and just like all melodrama soap operas action stuff like like musha <inaudible> right these are all kind of like all the different types of genres and movies like feature films. Um, and these were all like either subtitled or not subtitled, dubbed in the Vietnamese for the most part. Yeah. And uh, at that time, it was just kind of like getting all that uh, as like your direct line to Asian entertainment, right? And then you had your Paris by Nights. So that's a, that was definitely part of that as well. Um, and then so a lot of memories kind of sitting at home watching Bruce Lee movies and just all that stuff. But also Bruce Lee was on TV. So that was kind of an interesting intersection of like, Knowing that, and then you see the English dub version of Bruce Lee on TV, but knowing that he's Asian. So you had kind of this mishmash of yeah. things. And then you go out into the movie theaters, you know, and then I, you know, I watched, you know, whatever was out there, which is like the your big blockbuster, Spielberg and Cameron and, and all that stuff. So um that was kind of like the whole of entertainment for me just growing up of forgetting all those things. Uh, but it wasn't until I watched Jackie Chan, like really getting into Jackie Chan, that I, I wanted to understand filmmaking because there was just something unique about his style and his rhythm, and there was a musicality to it that was just like so, so, so unique. So I just wanted then that wanted to kind of open up the clock and just figure out how the gears worked um, from that point. But before that, it was really more of a fan and just kind of like taking it all in.
0: So at twelve what did you do about it? you you may, you had this light bulb that goes off and I want to be a filmmaker. or.
1: Yeah, it was really that, that, um, that big inflection point. It was, yeah, it wasn't a gradual thing. I was like, Oh, i want to do this. Like, so I started grabbing my dad's camcorder with this giant, you know, bazooka, uh, you know, VHS style. Yeah. And then just figuring out and te- figuring out on my own, like even just figuring out how to dub video uh, videotapes and, and, kind of connect the RCA cables between two VHS decks before I had to figure this all out. This was before, you know, YouTube tutorials or anything. I, in fact, I don't even know how I figured it out. Like, I just, I think I just read the in out. And I was like, <laughs> I just kept plugging and playing like, the, oh, this signal goes in and this one goes out. So then they figure it all out and then the push press record and just kind of like, you know, figuring out, you know, kind of blindly on that. So, um, but yeah, yeah. so there's in, yeah, good, ahead, good. Ahead. So in other words, if you, you know, all the stuff was mostly like one earth, you know, <laughs> you couldn't really edit that much. There were like several edit points. So it's just like, it's all linear editing. That's how I kind of like learned yeah. storytelling.
0: And during this time you turned 13, 14, 15, and you're telling your parents, like, you want to do this, right? Do they, what do they say?
1: No, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I knew it was kind of like, okay, this is kind of like a bit of a forbidden fruit here. Hmm. Um, but so for me, like I was like almost like doing this parallel life, you know, instead of you know, kids sneaking out and doing drugs or, you know, hanging out with girls, I was sneaking out and making movies. Um, wow. So I was like, I was trying to keep my GPA up, try to like keep, you know, schooling and try to keep like everything look like it was like, I was still like underneath the textbook was like all my shot lists and just trying to plan like, oh, uh, you know, the shoots of my friends. And, and so I understand that double life. It's an interesting, you know, I'm not, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare to like associate but I, I understand the idea of coming out because it's just like that kind of like mm-hmm. dual identity and just kind of like the things you want versus the things that you're expected of doing and so I, 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 I have empathetic feelings around that. Um. So, so, so yeah so I, I, I didn't it wasn't until college and we maybe we can get to that. Uh, when we get there, but it's like it wasn't until college that I, I really, you know, told my parents that I wanted to make films because I was already doing it for so many years at that point, so I had wow. a bit of a confidence. So, what, what
0: what did they expect <laughs> you to do?
1: I don't know if they expected me to do anything, but obviously, it was kind of like you know, your doctor, lawyer, they don't want to be a doctor or priest or you know, anything like that, had like all those kind of like um, noble, <laughs> the noble professions. Who would want to be an artist? You know, <laughs> the black sheep? because we're not a, we're not an entertainment family. I mean, we watch entertainment, but we don't have like people in showbiz or entertainment, yeah. which kind of like makes it more acceptable if you had, you know, someone you could yeah. point to. But this was all like, you know, a family that came to survive, and so it's like everything is very blue collar, white collar, type of stuff. So it's it's just not in their framework, and I think that's, um, that's a big issue for us to unpack because I, you know, I just I feel like that experience a lot with a lot of us. Vietnamese and entertainment, or Asian Americans who um, struggle with parental acceptance and struggle with those things, but you know you have to kind of understand, you know, where where the older generation is coming from as well.
0: Yeah, you know, all of this stuff about representation nowadays in the mainstream here in America, I think um, that's like a really big topic and a really big issue to to um, to fix. But I think addressing the topic within our own families about being able to do these sort of be a part of these industries like the arts and it starts there first like it starts to we need to accept that we we are able to to become artists and professionals inside the entertainment business and then from there that level of representation sort of just starts to grow from that point I mean and, and having that acceptance of, um, you know, our our having our family's blessing and not being in the closet, so to speak, is so important for all. I mean, we all share that that genetic strain of parents not accepting um, their children to go off in, into the ent- entertainment businesses. So, yeah. When when you um, are in college, what did you decide that you wanted to study? What was your double life? What was your Shell life?
1: <laughs> Computer science. Mm. So uh, every chance I get, I like to tell people I'm a scientist. I did graduate, I barely graduated. It was like, you know, it, it was coming to a head. And, you know, college is hard. Like high school, I could kind of like handle it and kind of like BS yes, my way. But college, you know, do a course load, yeah. especially I'm not really, I don't. You know i'm not very math inclined so i don't uh, looking back i really didn't really understand why i did it but you know i it was just it was not doctor right so i kind of avoided that but it was acceptable enough and at that time you know it was there was a whole dot-com bubble so it felt yeah. it felt sexy enough to, you know yeah you were hustling yeah you're going into something that could make money so maybe that was maybe that was all kind of coming into that um but yeah i mean i struggled it was really difficult i wasn't i wasn't you know mathematically inclined like i said and you know you're being outpaced by Vietnamese who actually could do math. and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, They're ruining the curve for you. And you're like, <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah, well I just, man. I I it was just funny, even just I still remember like a class assignment and a project that you know I couldn't figure out and do. And I went to a smaller, smaller university. And so I ran over to the bigger university and went I went to their tutoring lab.
0: Holy and I God. asked how
1: to do the work, and they did the homework for me. So I ran back. And I them. So I was like, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. That's amazing. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah. you know, I was making yeah. moves. I know looking back, it was like, yeah, I was like, you did what you had to do. It's like, it's like, you have to get this grade. You know, what are you going to do? And like, you know, sort of cheating, like that it was like never an option, but it was just finding ways to like you know, get it done and honestly get it off my plate because I was like, making short films and, and movies at night and doing all, during spring break, you know, I would schedule my whole quarter pre, pre-production planning essentially to, you know, have all my friends free and available to shoot on spring break, you know? Wow. So, you know, I would I, I had stuff to do. I don't want to do homework. I don't do your, project, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it was hilarious. Like I really, like we, we had a senior project uh, group that um, was five, you know, you have this small group that you do your, basically your capstone project and uh, and I still love them. To this day, because they all understood what I was doing, and I was making probably my you know biggest short film to date uh, at that senior year, and then uh, they knew I was not computer, you know, I was not meant for this. <laughs> and then we had our little group had like it was it was five of us, and there was like four computers, and uh, they uh, we were. We were all kind of slacking i guess but and then we were threatened by our advisor we were like you guys are going to fail like it's like four weeks before graduation it like you give you guys better finish this or you're going to fail so it's like kind of all hands on deck right yeah. and then like four computers with five of us and uh they all like took the computers or yeah that's right so yeah they all took the computers and they were like and i was like the odd man out obviously because i contributed nothing that <laughs> <laughs> much and they were like, I was like, you guys want coffee? I'll be over here. Don't mind me. And But they was like, you know, burning the midnight oil and just programming, and coding, and I had nothing to do. I was just sitting there. <laughs> oh, man. Did you take film
0: classes or anything during those years? Yeah, on the
1: side. Like, I took, mm-hmm. yeah, so a film class. I, you know, I was self-taught for the most part. Um, I, you know, my major influence was, you know, Robert Rodriguez. Rebel without a crew, you know, that to me was like the most, one of the most empowering things that, like, not, you don't have to do film school. And that was the way of me making peace of, like, you know, I don't have the money to go to film school. So, how do you, how am I going to do this, right? And then, so yeah, I just would read through textbooks and books and I took film classes, but there weren't production classes. So I took, they were like kind of critical film studies classes, which is, which is, you know, cool in its own. But, you know, in terms of the gears and that actually figuring out, those were a lot of DIY. Um, and for me, like I was, I was fortunately to be mentored by Corey Yoon, who's a family friend. Corey Yoon is like this, you know, legendary film director, Hong Kong film director who directed Jet Li and grew up with Jackie Chan and, 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 and Sammo Hung, and just all those. So, and he became my mentor in the sense that I would make these like short, short films, these backyard videos, and he'd give me feedback and notes and stuff like that. So that was like my movies, my films. Right. How did you meet
0: him? Uh, what do you mean family friend? Like how did you meet him?
1: Yeah, so his sons went to my high school. so we were just um, it just had became that connection. And then he was at that time he was coming back to more spending more time in America because he was shooting a lot in in Hong Kong. But at that time his jet Li coming over to America, so he followed debt and uh, during lethal weapons, so it's like 96, 97 um so at that time it was just almost a perfect uh opportunity to kind of like right. grab his ear and like you know try to try to get what i could so it's like it was it was amazing
0: but but at that time right so you meet these kids that are you know his sons or whatever right so you meet these kids and yeah they, what do you how do you even figure that information out like you're like they tell you like my dad's this guy or no
1: they didn't have yeah him. they didn't say anything yeah i was just heard like oh yeah do you know you know so and so was like they have uh their dad's like a filmmaker, about blah, 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 blah. It's like, and that didn't really plug together because it's like, um, it's interesting because they're 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 super low key, and uh, you know, they they're, they're very shy guy. as well. So it's like, um, and it was just kind of like, you kind of heard it in hushed tones, but you didn't put two and two together because no one no one knew who who he was in the sense that like no one knew directors, Hong Kong directors. You know, yeah. teenagers didn't know Hong Kong directors. Mm-hmm. I did, but so I was like, well so who was it? So I was, and I had somehow a mutual friend had introduced us. And I figured, you know, we found out. I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "Holy, holy cow!" <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool. And they were super cool, and they just kind of welcomed me into the home and all that. So, I, you know, became great friends. Still great friends to this day. But uh, yeah, Corey was just like, just it's incredible. Kind of thinking about, you know, yeah, the level that he was, and he yep. humored me and looking at my stupid videos. It was just like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, because like, that's uh, incredibly generous.
0: I'm thinking about that first few meetings with with somebody that you look up to or you realize that this is uh somebody who's really doing the the real work in, in the real world and then what do you say to him you say yeah as a kid what do you say like <laughs> hey,
1: there's I- nothing to say because you know what he did because like i at that time i wanted to make it i wanted to be like a jackie Chan, right? i wanted to actually star and direct and all that and so maybe he thought it was like okay this kid like like does he think he's talented so he grabbed like a magazine and holds it up and he's like i want you to kick this i was like what like Wait. You want me- <laughs> yeah it was like crazy <laughs> that was my first meeting it wasn't anything like oh hello he's like he grabs this thing because you gotta imagine like these guys are some badasses man they came out of this opera school which is like there's no bs like uh if anyone's seen like farewell my concubine or like that type, like it's like dickensian it's like circus circus training um, so, you know, he didn't, he didn't suffer any fools at all. What he just like, grabs this magazine? I don't remember. And he holds it high. I was like, hey, can you bring it down? And he was like, he just held it like, <laughs> I did like this jump kick and stuff. And he's like, oh, okay, not bad. And then we started talking. More. And I was like, yeah. holy, what a way to get in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is exciting. It's exciting <laughs> to hear that story because I'm like thinking to myself, if I was like a little kid, what do I tell this older guy who, you know, I've yeah. heard about, but, what, what am I yeah. going to say? Yo, I want to make a movie or like, I want to get into the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you have that conversation, right? <laughs> and you, hope yeah. think that you can kick it. But wait, yeah. wait a minute. That's, so that yeah. that means that you were actually training to become a martial artist, like in your early years then, right?
1: I was, yeah. So they all, all kind of dovetailed together. Maybe that was at, at that time, I was really interested in what Jack Chan was doing, because as I was learning, I could kind of start to at least understand like, oh my, like how hard what he does make it make look easy, right? It's you appreciate it more once you study the craft or study the martial arts and, and see it. Um so yeah I was doing martial arts but not out of interest. I was a, I was like a couch potato and my parents uh kind of pushed me into it. So I, I didn't I didn't really like you know get into it as a hobby and I really loved it. But then I started, you know, falling in love and kind of like practicing it more and more. So yeah. So that that at that time I was you know had been practicing for a while and that, that's why i was like you know filming you know myself because i can I, no one else could do the martial arts stuff so i was like doing some of it and then but i was really more interested in filmmaking mm. at that time so actually corey's best best advice to me was like uh don't act <laughs> don't, don't act <laughs> well,
0: why was that why did he say that
1: um i don't know i don't think it was a testament you know he was you know. A diss on you know my acting ability he was just like just it takes too much to focus if you really want to direct like you have to yeah be behind the camera and just focus on it uh so or maybe it was maybe that was a gentle like nudge to like mm, maybe you shouldn't do that <laughs> you know, you, uh, but yeah i mean i can't i can't do anything that you know they, you see these kids in our movie martial club like their talent it's like you know up there so you let you find those people that can do yeah. that and put them in front of the camera right? So. He was steering me in that direction, so I think he was acting He had acted for a while in the seventies. You know, even probably a, maybe he. You know, you can find some old fight scenes that he in. He he never wanted to be in front of the camera.
0: Right, right. You know, I, I want to segue real quick. You have a yeah. wicked sense of humor. You know, there's like a really <laughs> dry, but like you know, it's bold. It's and it's it's a daring sense of humor. I've I've heard you bust out shit throughout
1: the years, and I'm just like,
0: whoa. What <laughs> what do you think that comes from?
1: Oh, it's funny. I don't. I don't know. I think it's just I. I um. I think it comes from me watching and observing, because I I like people watching, and I think there's always something funny about how people behave in certain environments, and also how I feel in certain environments, and I kind of pay attention to that. Um, I don't know what it is. I, it's like I just I just maybe the stuff I watch and, and see. I love stand up, and I love stand up that has really observational, but also puts them in it. Yeah. It's not about like, hey, how about that crazy thing? But like they talk about what like Chappelle to me is like, you know, the master yeah. storyteller comedian. And he's always in the story. He's always in that, 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 that moment. So you're always kind of like, it's just such, and there's kind of an empathy to it, yeah. I guess. Maybe that, that's what it is. I don't know. I just say things. Maybe I say things because I <laughs> swear well, to see it. So. i tell
0: you what, man, <laughs> I was watching one yeah. of your promo videos for uh, you're raising money in 2017. And you, you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, I got to do side hustles, right? And then I was yeah. like, okay. I was like, I was waiting for the dude. The the shit that just happens on on the video <laughs> screen that are the side hustles is like hilarious. You know, it's like really funny <laughs> shit. Um, yeah. you're you you make these you well you make things that are, you know, the, the, it's some serious stuff that action films are, are. You know, it's a serious technical. It's serious technical work. But now you're adding okay. this sort of layer of comedy. Uh, levity, you're bringing uh, sort of this lightness to. I think that's a very hard thing to do. Um, how you know, how did you kind of come around to understanding like that's sort of like the direction, like Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, like comes mm-hmm. to mind? Technically, it's it looks like a very difficult movie to pull off, but then there's like this thing that takes it to another level, which is the comedy inside of it, right? And that's what, yeah. Drew draws me into that kind of, it seems very difficult to do.
1: Very difficult. Um, Very difficult, but I never felt like it was, um. it was a thing not to do. You know what I mean? I, like I said, I kind of grew up watching all those types of entertainment and maybe they all kind of blend together, but like Hong Kong movies, obviously, you know, very freewheeling, you know, it just kind of goes, sometimes it takes like huge left turns and some, you know, sometimes it's a little too far, it doesn't work. But there's a certain pitch to it that it always feels like it's it still feels like the same movie, you know what I mean? Like yeah, so there's just something really alluring to that type of storytelling, and then like you you mentioned like Guardians of the Galaxy and um, I think today like Taika Waititi is like you know a master of that. Like Jojo Rabbit, you know to me is like this masterpiece of yeah, incredibly serious but wow, just the comic and pathos, just like such a magical touch. but I think it comes from the way maybe you see the world too. And I'm not sure it could be consciously constructed. Like, okay, now we're going to be funny or now we're going to be, you know, tragic here and stuff like that. I think maybe, um, maybe the most enlightening comment I've heard when people have seen this film, or at least people that know me, they're like, this movie is you. Like it just has your personality. People say it's just that personality. So it's like, Oh, I never thought of it that way, but it's like, okay, that's, that's cool, that's, you know, you can follow me, you know, along the ride on them.
0: I've always had the theory, and I, and I talk about it with my friends um, in the film community, you know, my close friends, I always say, you know, God, I hate to be so judgmental and, and judging books by, by the cover, but you can sort of see what kind of films come out of people if you get to hang out with them. If you mm. If you spend mm-hmm. time, a lot of time with a director or a writer, you could see what kind of person that they are. And, you know, uh, Stefan Gogger, you know, he was such a beautiful soul Um, at the, at the core of who he was. uh, It was like a a little boy constantly in wonderment, you know, seeing the world in in such an innocent um, with an innocent lens. And, but there was a sort of other technical side that he understood very well. This, um, there's a gravity to to the world that he sees too but at the core of it he had this sort of little boy wonder you you know and 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 you could see it and you could see it in in you you know that that comedy that there's this seriousness about you when you first meet you but as you know you spend time with you there's this um comedic what what um was the short film that you had talked about um as you were uh finishing up your last
1: year in college that was Carmen's virtue which was <clears throat> the first short that really like really kind of like uh, I was able to screen you know outside of Seattle at film festivals you know the other shorts were just more local at festivals and stuff like that but that but that one was like accepted into you know LA Asian Pacific at that time you know VC um and then and, you know I was able to do you know a tour and VIF or Vietnamese film festival you know um so it was almost like a Uh, You know, coming out in that sense that when I, I I waited till like two, three weeks before graduation to tell my parents, (laughs) you know about it and put it all on the line and put all the cards on the table. And uh, it was a bit of a shock, uh, obviously, uh, but I just knew that I had a film in my back pocket and I had acceptance letters to these other film festivals. You know, I don't know if it meant anything. Can I stop you right there? Yeah.
0: Are you telling me like the entire time they had no idea you wanted to be a filmmaker or this is like something that you're going to do? Like they had no inkling that. You... No, no. Were you
1: that afraid of them? Or <laughs> I was good. <laughs> I was good. Uh, <laughs> I even had like Corey's family complicit in and it. Was like, I was like, don't, you know, this is like not a thing. Like, don't say anything like that. But, but what was yeah, that? I was, was like, it,
0: was it more you and you, your personality and you just didn't want to disrupt the family environment or was it? Like they're that scary, and you're just like, fuck it, I don't want to go near that.
1: I think it came down to like I didn't want to. Yeah, I think it's a lot of that, but I think just energy-wise, I didn't want to have to prove and explain myself to them while I was still trying to perfect my craft. You know what I mean? Like I'm still trying to learn movie making. I'm not good at it, you know. I'm still butting my way. And if I show you know, it's like if I show you now, it just looks like you know, it, it doesn't do anything. So I like I really you know, Marshawn, remember that I'm, a, I'm just about that action boss, you know, that, 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 that quote that he has, like, that was, like, yeah. how I thought, and I, maybe that's that Asian thing, like, I don't, I even know, like, I don't like talking about projects that aren't done yet, if it's not at a stage, like, I can't really speak to it until, like, I just need to sit down and do it, or I just need to make the movie and do it, Um, so I do have that kind of complex where it's, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I feel like a lot of the energy of talking about it could be spent doing it, so maybe looking back, it was, like, the, I can imagine all the, countless arguments, the countless, uh, you know, dinner table snide, whatever, you know, passive aggressive comments, you know, about me trying to do this, and all that energy is just is just would, would be, be too, too much, much when I'm trying to do my thing. So let me do my thing, improve myself. Okay. And when it comes to a point, so I, yeah, it's, maybe it just kind of comes down to that. Um, so I just have some marker of achievement, you know, these film festival acceptance, you know, in the big yeah. scheme of things, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean anything to them, or, you know, I didn't get paid, you know, film festivals, right? But it meant something to me, you know. I had something that I felt like I I could stand on.
0: That's a that's a huge lesson for 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 young people coming up at any time. I mean, I wish I knew that what you just said. I wish I was that wise. <laughs> you know, I was like telling my parents, yeah. like, "I want to do this, I want to do that," and they're probably looking at you, just going, "Like, okay, sure, kid. Do you know you're wasting yeah. time talking about this
1: shit?" But yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just shut the fuck. up. Maybe off. it's conflict avoidance. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, maybe the conflict avoidance too. I just didn't want to, You know, I didn't want to deal with it. So. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's not efficient. It's not an efficient use of our time to kind of sit there and try to. What, if you really are? It sounds. This is what it sounds like. If you really are confident mm-hmm. about what you have to set out to do, then you're just gonna go and do it. But if you're not really confident, you're gonna seek yeah. approval, right? And I think that's what yeah. I was going through yeah. my whole life with my my world. I just didn't know. I didn't know what I needed to do and i think a lot of us are like that a lot of young people yeah are not confident you know in their decision about oh my god to become a film director is like a major thing right and mm-hmm. so i think mm-hmm. you know or to become an actor a singer or you know we're, we're seeking approval but the way you did it is like no nah, i'm gonna just do it and not have to even deal with the conflict and
1: yeah yeah it's um and then, you know I struggle when, you know, younger filmmakers ask me for, you know, do you have advice and stuff like that? And I just have, I, I it's just the heart. it's like, you either have it or you don't. I hate to be so Darwinian about it. I'm just yeah. like, anything I tell you, if I tell you, you can't do it, you know, it, it doesn't mean it, it, the point is if you want to do it and you believe in yourself, yeah. you're going to do it. It doesn't matter what I say or anybody else gives you anything. I can kind of give you tips and tricks to kind of get there. Um, and maybe looking back, it's just kind of like, there's a practicality I have about filmmaking. I think definitely from Corey, kind of telling back to Corey, it's like how influential he is. Like you have to understand his background. He was a Peking opera, uh, raised basically an orphan or basically, you know, you basically give your child away because you can't afford to raise them. So you give them as a servant to this opera school. And this is all he knows. So by the time he goes to 17, 18, he graduates from this academy. All he knows is stunts. All he, really, all he knows is a circus and opera performance. He goes into stunts because that's the only skill set that he has. He's a little bit more brighter than, say, the other stuntmen. So he ambitions to be a stunt coordinator and a fight coordinator. He then he becomes a director. Right. And this is all out of survival. Yeah. It wasn't because, like, like us, we can sit back and, like, I want to make movies. I love movies. Like, you he, look at me and, like, you are crazy about movies. I don't understand, like if I had any other skill set, I would do it. Like movie making is too hard. Like you would say straight up that to me. Yeah, yeah, And to me, that was like and that put me up my feet on the ground in a lot mm-hmm. of ways because it was in a way of just saying, like, you know, just in the bigger sense, like you, it's a it's also a job that you, it's a business to do, not like a business, like yeah. make money, but business like it's something that it's not as romantic as yeah. it needs to be, you know, and so maybe that was all that grind and just respecting that grind of just what it took to do stuff
0: yeah that that sounds like it was just like a very practical like hey this is not fantasy work here this is some real shit that you're gonna have to roll up your sleeves
1: yeah 100 percent.
0: so you make a few shorts and you know you tell your parents and but you still have to make money right throughout the years that you're you have to make money to survive to make these projects so what do you do do you stick with computer science or you go all in in filmmaking
1: you saw my side hustles it was all insurance fraud and <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah i never used any of my computer science skills but i used my writing skills so i used it to um i did i like worked in agency work so i was working at like amazon uh writing product reviews and just um writing consumer log- electronics product reviews you know i was very still like focused back to you know some skill set that i knew i could i could talk about camp quarters i could talk about electronics yeah. so um, I, I part laid that into that. So I got into agency ad work um, in this town, in Seattle, you know, there's not a lot of film film work. And that's kind of another thing. It's like, if you want to get into film or the writer director, you know, um, you either can kind of start a PA and kind of work on a physical side up. But like, mm-hmm. I honestly was never interested. Like, I just had my own projects. Like I never, you know, I don't want to, you know, have someone give me the green light to make, you know, hire on hire on to direct that typical track, you know? I just had my own work that I wanted to make. Um, so yeah, you do have to get side hustles. You have to work and you have yeah. to kind of like find some what other way to way do, it. do it.
0: Why didn't you move to LA?
1: That's a good question. I still ask myself. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's um, I don't know. I just like, I just like, I always, when you go to LA, you got to figure out how to pay rent in a big way. And then you have to figure out how to go up, the, up that stream. So again, the typical LA track, if you don't have film school or have a contact, they can land you like you know okay you're going to start as a pa and you work on the physical side but you know you can get stuck being pa forever you might be as a director's assistant you might learn a little bit but it just felt like that whole track wasn't interesting when i had scripts and ideas that i wanted to make now you know so in a way i didn't see la as a way to validate and it's like it's like does it get, help me make the thing i want to make now? and that's the way i kind of looked at it. In Seattle, you know, there's a tribe and you find people and that can work with you and, and do. It. And that's the tribe that I had, you know, to this day to make uh, the Paper Tigers. But before then, I was just like, I was just going to keep doing it. And then like my friends or whatever, they're all in L.A. And whenever they're ready to shoot, you know, they come up to shoot. So it never felt like my access was was disconnected. I, I'd go down. I'd be in L.A. and I'd have all my, all my friends working in the industry. So I, I know everybody there. So I didn't really see anything yeah. that I needed to, to be there.
0: You know. When you sit in a the theater and the one of the first things that come up on the screen is persistence of vision, can you explain that? Can you break that um, that idea down and why it's your what's on the screen there? I mean, I can get into yeah all this stuff. But I <laughs> want to hear it from you.
1: I thought it was a clever pun, Ken. Like I didn't realize it would become like national like life motto. It really did. Like. I don't know how to came out like I, yeah people mention that all the time like damn I should have just said like making movies quickly productions or something <laughs> it was, it was a lot of grief to figure that out but I think it did start out you know it was just a clever pun like persistent division is how um film works you know you have 24 frames that are speeding through and and you you your brain basically connects these still images to to think it's actually a movie so it has like that has that um, interesting dynamic? That's how movies work. So yeah, I just kind of use that as a production banner. It's still fun. I still fun, but yeah. <laughs> the-
0: brilliant. But it it you know it's it really represents who you are. You're you're really persistent. And here is where this is what I'm getting at too. It's yeah persistence is not only okay. Like not moving tail a. That's persistence. Uh, another major thing that I have a lot of respect for you is the idea of your script comes out it goes and makes the rounds and people are saying big money's coming to you and saying you know let's change out these people of color characters and let's do white it's all caucasian that's persistence to me can you break down that sort of where would you get that from
1: yeah uh the where did where'd I get persistence from or where those those meetings took me
0: the where did you get the um the fortitude to to stay persistent Persistent to keep your vision of the way you want to do things, especially when it came to Paper Tigers, Mm. keeping Mm. uh, your characters the way you wanted them.
1: I guess I'm a stubborn sob. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. Yeah, I I, yeah I I think going back to maybe I just again, Corey, like how influential that is because there was one thing with you would give me a sense like that you're making movies for the world. Like it's one thing to kind of make these short films and and um, you know. Do things for locally or even like Asian American artists, which I think 10 at that time like was very a lot of navigating. gating. I think we all kind of like sat through a lot of sports programs at these Asian American film festivals. Like, oh my God, like how many more like self autobiographic girl stories do we need to see? And like, yeah. which is all good. Like, I look back very fondly, but it was definitely a certain type of ill. Like, everyone yeah. was making that type of thing. And I never, like, I just want to entertain and make movies for the, the world. And by consequence of that, it's gonna be your name on the movie. And that was that lesson that was always imprinted. So if you're if you're gonna ship it out and like put your stamp on it and say, this is the movie I made, you know, you better be able to stand by it. So maybe that was just that always already ingrained in me and knowing the movie that I was gonna make, that you get these notes and you get these meetings, but ultimately when the movie goes out, if it flops or fails, it's on or succeeds, it's on you on your name. Which is fine. Which is what is how you want it, right? I just want to kind of like, you know, failure. I've been I've been all you know, failure has been part of my life as well. So it's it doesn't. I don't care if yeah. we fail, but I want it to be my failure, and not because someone said like do this, do that, and then suddenly, you know, they have no ownership in that failure, and then you're on your own. Right, right, right. So there's that. Yeah. So I'm I'm perfectly fine with you know. Success or failure—it just—it just needs to be mine. And I think that's where that kind of came from. So all those notes and all those things, just honestly, it wasn't like it wasn't. We didn't bat a second, uh, you know, bat an eyelash. Never second thought around like moving on and, and finding the right, right partner. So like all this stuff, I, I know a lot of people are like, "Oh my God, that's great that you stepped your gun." It was like, yeah, it was kind of obvious. Like I don't, and I don't think we're the only ones. Like we all like all of us Asian filmmakers who have spent any time. In LA or the studios pitching have had these notes. We're not unusual, um, but I guess because we're in the forefront and it's out in the press, and people are like, "Oh my god, right? it, it, this thing's happening!" It's like, yeah, can you believe police brutality? This is a thing. Right, like it's surprising to a lot of people that maybe we assume or we we forget to to realize that how 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 little people are aware of this. So,
0: so when you are going through. Um you know, you're working at Amazon, you're, you're doing all of these side hustles and you're working you have a plethora of ideas, right? A plethora of story ideas, right? How do you know which one to really push forward with?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's an odd experience creatively because sometimes you kind of know you have it. And sometimes you might have a part of an idea that, you set aside, and if it keeps bugging or keeps nagging yep. you, and it's like, okay, maybe I need to pay attention. To that. And maybe it's not that idea itself, it's like that first half an idea, like, or it's like that other character that you had in mind. Maybe that's the story. Um, so there's a whole, there's a kind of craft and a creative process to kind of cultivating an idea. And maybe it's all oftentimes that we don't like to. Um, how do I say? It? It's like, I never put, I never completely put away an idea, even if it's an old idea. Like you just kind of put it aside, yeah. and maybe it comes back to you, and it changes form or something. Um, but I also want to push forward and like find new ideas and, and just be hungry around that, and not have to kind of rely on you know older ideas. I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, it yeah. does.
0: It does, and everything seems like it's timing too, right? Projects come up, and timing.
1: There's a patience around that. There's definitely a patience that you have to around. Um, you know, is the audience ready for it? Is the you know? I been mean, looking back on this film, you know. I never thought we would take ten years to do it. I think you know we'd get around to doing it much sooner and stuff like that. But everything, looking back, like I hate to say it, but everything happened in its own time. Yes. And you know it hit at a certain time. And even just now, this conversation about what's happening in the world with stop Asian hate and like, I it's not like I expected a pandemic or anything. But people are making those connections and talking points, which is like, oh, well, wow wow, like there's something different about that. But I think if you're doing also working. For me, I like you know if you're working to make something um, that has weight and meaning, you know it will be timeless in and of itself. So almost any time that you drop it into the world, it, the world will receive it. Absolutely, or at least I think it. I yeah, think so. You know, yeah, I, I think
0: you're absolutely right. What, how did you? What What inspired you to write this film?
1: Yeah, so this one was an idea. I think I was feeling burned out by film. Like I said, you know, I started really early, you know, making films and 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 uh, so it's one thing to kind of do as a hobby and that's another thing to kind of like actually have an LLC or you know have like you know figure out your career track because you know and then figure out you know what all that means and and even pure friendships and I've seen you know falling out and feel you know good relationships have like falling out over a movie or you know it's just all this little sour stuff that I never I never you know I I didn't sign up for that, right? I didn't I didn't think those are all things that I, I think were positive, you know, life experiences. Yeah. Um, so I was just feeling you know burnt out about you know the industry and just kind of the way things are done. Oh, it's just business, just show business or whatever. And I never felt like um that, you know, and then that's kind of going back to like I'm practical about things, but it also, you know, it it is still an art. And we have to kind of respect what what that is. So um so anyways, it was just kind of like me tapping into what are the things that I really loved about film in the first place? What are the things I loved about, you know, martial arts and just trying to find some type of um, common denominator in this film and story of trying to rekindling, you know, these things that we had in our youth but maybe moved away from, yeah. and whether they're still valuable to us.
0: So you have this idea for this story and you you write it, right? You you put it on paper. How long does that process? How long did that process take you?
1: It was a long time i think because it, it was stretched over um a period of years where I, I was working um so i was um you know my producer michael velasquez and i walked in with a one-page treatment at the la asian pacific film puzzle they had a kind of a pitch lab mm-hmm. uh so i we had a one-page treatment and everybody else you know had full complete scripts you know like real professionals <laughs> like, you know, just sitting around here just like <laughs> um 50, we had 15 minutes. It was one minute of pitching and just 14 minutes of just, like, talking about stuff. <laughs> but, like, uh, that was Anderson. Anderson Lee was just a huge champion, like, because he knew, he, uh, he believed in me or whatever. He's like, yeah, just come today and we'll make it work. Because I was like, is this enough? I didn't feel like a page was, like, going to, you know, get us through, you know, the whole whole day. But he was like, go for it. Um, so, and just hearing the feedback and just hearing the things, like, already we kind of knew what we had. And we knew that this could be something. And so I just like kind of put um more focus in terms of just actually focusing and writing on it. Um so I think I wrote a few drafts earlier on, and then I was working in Vietnam. So at that time, um Charlie Nguyen was making this movie called uh, Chalon or Budai uh, Jal in Vietnam and uh Ham, Ham had called me up. Ham Tran is the, another filmmaker who was uh was editing. Charlie's films up to then, but he had an opportunity where he was going to direct. Uh, yeah. So he called, he calls me and says, Hey, Charlie needs an editor. Are you up for it? And I was like, cool. Like, this sounds dope. And it was really interesting because also it was um kind of flashing back to like, I don't, I don't consider myself like an editor editor, but because same experience with Ham and all of us, like we just learned all the facets of yeah. filmmaking because we had to, right? Like we had, we didn't have any. So, you know, I I whatever I can contribute to Charlie's film as an editor, like as I, I will, but I didn't, I didn't like say, like, I want to be an editor, you no. know, automatically. So I just came in to like help out friends and be a cool part of a cool project. Like I, at the end of the day, that's what it was. So, so I wanted to, to do that. And that's kind of like, you know, opened up some other uh opportunities as an editor. So I edited like Dustin's uh Dustin Wynn's uh Jackpot, Jim Joel, uh, as well. Um, and so you know, I was kind of like ping ponging back and forth. Um, Vietnam in the States and like I had a script that was like oh all in like pieces and fragments and different drafts so like it it was just it just wasn't there yet um but it was like it just needed me to sit down and focus but um so I had kind of like talked about it um vaguely with some producers out uh in Vietnam about it already because it was at a point where I could kind of like speak to it um so there was even interest then they were like oh could you like set it in Vietnam and and set it here and then and it felt like an easier um easier move like because you get financed it pretty easy and yada yada so at that time they were looking for a lot of like new directors and they still are but uh the directors you know vietnamese expat vietnamese uh was in hot demand you know yeah uh uh so it's like it felt like a you know low hanging fruit but i always felt like the story was an asian american story mm-hmm. or at least a, a north american yeah. immigrant story because you're stuck between two cultures and you're getting pulled between kung fu asian confucian culture and soccer dad life you know yeah. and modern jobs and all that stuff and so that to me it, it was interesting uh, about that so again maybe sticking to the guns I just felt like it was a story that um, that I could do so I I went the harder route and just like decided to make in the U.S. which is like nobody does like it was just at that time like you know all my friends like everybody was like go to Vietnam you can get your feature made you know and you know I saw everybody make their features and get it made and it's like it was like yeah you can get it made but the story just always felt like i just couldn't set it yeah i can't um,
0: imagine it being made in vietnam
1: yeah Such yeah
0: asian american story yep
1: yeah. yeah so so yeah so then um yeah i at that time you know also like i said i I wasn't i didn't see myself as an editor but i was starting to be seen as an editor so then obviously if you cut you know charlie and dustin's movies you're like the editor like ham is like ham was the go-to guy right and yeah. ham's directing now i'm like the guy so i was getting called you know about it. And I was like, yeah, but I was like, I want to direct. And this is what I had always wanted to do. So it was kind of a way to kind of like cut ties a little bit, and just kind of focus on, you know, presenting yourself as a, as a writer director for this as your first feature. You know, uh so that was that was kind of a conscious decision to kind of like come back to the states, focus on writing, finish the script, and then somehow figure out a way to get it made.
0: No, when you go out and you're like, okay, I finished this right, and you go out to make. The film how do you how did you not move to LA and and use connects down here in LA to I mean how do you put together something you know it, it just blows my mind from where you are to have a script and go you know I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to find financing from wherever you are and not be in the epicenter of you know of the of the movie making world how do you put it together
1: I don't know. I think because primarily uh, the core of our producers are from here, so we, it was just it felt like an easier way to start, you know, get it up on its feet. So Alan Duong and Yuji Okamoto are here based in Seattle, so we always had these meetings here, and Dan Kildark as well. Uh, we have one producer in LA, Michael Blasco, as, as I mentioned, so we could kind of have this remote squad, you know, and, and if he, Michael could take meetings in LA, he did, and if there was anything that needed to be done, I'd fly down or, or stuff like that, but it always felt like it was, you know, we kind of this is like pre-pandemic. Like we always knew, like you could do stuff remote. Mm-hmm. Like it never felt like it was a like a far cry to have right. to be effective and, and do things. But now we see like how obvious you could do stuff remotely. So yeah. we figured all out, you know, cloud sharing, all this. I mean, it's just it, it, you found a way. Um, but also the other thing with film financing, like they're, they're not always LA based, especially um, for for kind of independent, kind of the under ten million. They're usually like European or Canadian and stuff like that. So it just felt like you know it didn't really make sense to go to LA when you had all these you know potential producers and stakeholders that you know weren't even LA, um, and also keep in mind you know this whole film incentive structure where you yep. could go to Canada and film. So even just where you can shoot is still agnostic around you know being LA centered. Mm-hmm. So it, it it didn't yeah it just never of came, came up as an issue. And if it did, we just kind of found a way. We flew down and and like I said, Mike would take meetings if it really needed.
0: At some point. Uh, you decided to do crowdfunding Did that was that a thought from the beginning or is that something you you all came up with much later
1: yeah crowdfunding was much later crowdfunding came like out of necessity because we were just like getting nowhere fast and just hitting our heads against the wall so all these studio meetings that you know you're mentioning like we had pitched around we had a sales agent, we went to point around and you know did the whole kind of pitch tour around you know all the, all of la la studios you know essentially um, and then we get that constant note. Like it wasn't just one note. People were like, you know, is it one offer? It's like we got a lot of our is like everyone <laughs> knew what we had, and maybe that was kind of a testament to at least the idea had had some legs, but they didn't like the execution or the idea of, you know, the yeah. casting. So that was a like, you know, honestly, it was a little encouraging because at least they they knew they knew we had something, otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, but you know, it was a constant refrain about whitewashing. And you know, it's like it's like this this. This tune is not gonna change. It doesn't matter who we meet in LA, it's gonna still be the same thing. So we just kind of like decided to pivot. Uh it was 10 years of come to Jesus moments. Like it was literally yeah. like you have to like con- constantly reassess where you're at and constantly figure out like is this working? If it's not working, you gotta move. Uh so that's why we went to crowdfunding. Like crowdfunding was um honestly, like it's not even the whole part of the budget. Yeah, okay. you know, because yeah. what you're looking for is like ideally a studio that can fund or even yeah. augment, and that's what it, where the offers came in. Because it's like initially we budget, budget a million if we were on our own, but if a studio came in, they can't. They have to do unions and they have to do all those things. So it will be a you know yeah. a, a higher budget film automatically. So, so, so the Kickstarter and crowdfunding is it's not significant enough uh to be able to raise you know the full amount of uh money so we decided to do it just to be able to kind of get our foothold yeah. and like an awareness and all that thing and then because of the kickstarter we were able to get you know private investors uh that weren't la they were all in seattle like real estate doctors dentists and business people and they they rallied around a lot of vietnamese asian americans wow. got around and supported the film after the kickstarter after seeing the kickstarter so that was a way to open door. We had, we had no like A to Z plan. Like we just had to do something to figure out like, to, to get some funding. So.
0: It's crazy what you sort of start out thinking that, well, crowdfunding, you know, we're trying to raise money but it's not really in the crowdfunding money that you're raising the money. It's the marketing, it's the all of the waves that happen as a result of of creating that action of the the crowdfunding. Yeah.
1: Well, it was, a, it was still a significant amount. I mean, we raised hundred twenty four thousand originally. It was a hundred ten thousand goal, but we, we we surpassed it. So we wanted to peg it a significant amount that at least could help us, you know, get to there where we needed to be, but also, you know, make it wave. because a lot of kickstarters tend to be maybe 40. forty. They're pretty, you know, they're very they're they're very uh, practical <laughs> like us, but like they put it, you know, as post, you know. But we had you know no movie, right? or we had some in the movie actually, and just kind of like again, just to show how janky and how nonlinear our film was, we had some money in place, some private money. So we decided to shoot the portion of the film. And if you see the film, it's the young portion, the 80s and 90s segment yeah. with the young actors. We shot that actually two years before the main shoot. Wow. And we had a little bit of the money. So we shot that and we shot them out, which is essentially meaning like you don't need them again for the rest okay. of the movie. Um, so uh, we have that in Can, So it was, again, just finding a way to kind of like make the movie happen into reality. And like, and then we use that footage to kickstart and we use that footage to the pitch at Can. Like we were on the, in this uh, film incubators, you know, at, at Can, uh, and we were able to kind of pitch and find sales agents out of that. So it's like, you know, whatever it took, it was all by hook or by crook at that point.
0: Wow. So you didn't, in the beginning, did you start out with that concept, the way you shot that opening sequence that you know what because what, it obviously it's it's shot two different ways right the when they were young and then when yeah so did you yep. start out thinking that that's the way you're going to do it
1: uh like 10 years ago
0: yeah i mean or even no
1: then. no i thought we were just going to shoot in one go and like just yeah, like a normal movie like a normal <laughs> like sane movie would wow. be made um but we were again we we're just hitting uh, you know was, i can count this down to the years like year. Year six, we were hitting that wall, just like you know, going nowhere fast. And like, well, what's going to change? Again, what's going to change this thing? Um, you know, that whole thing, like uh, the what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. and not having results. So we were getting hit in that. There were no results. So like, it's not persistent vision. It's like trying to figure out how to persistence of, of, of pivoting. It's what I like to say. Oh, it's, just like, it's just like, you got to figure out what it is while still like keeping your eye on the ball and yeah. like, making the movie intact. So it was a high wire act to shoot parts of the film, not knowing what the rest, even the actors didn't even know, like, is this going to be in the movie? Is this a short film? They're like, like, but I knew it was going to be a feature and, you know, and then planning like planting the seeds for, you know, footage that you shoot now two years later, not knowing what the other actors look like, you know, it's a lot of balancing act.
0: Yeah. Huge. So can I ask you about, some parts of the film without giving anything away yeah there there's some pretty heavy language in there right mm-hmm. how did you arrive at saying okay that's acceptable like i'm gonna do that like it was there any pushback in your mind or did you go out and ask you know for advice about um some of that strong language
1: can you maybe let's inst- are you talking about just the, the language that's used and kind of the, the different you okay I think I get what you're
0: saying. It's you will just say yeah, yeah the racial part, you know.
1: Okay. Yeah. I never felt any issue around that because it was also kind of speaking to where I my experience was because you know if we're talking about you know in Asian American cultures hip hop culture, hip-hop culture and, and black culture is very much intertwined. And sometimes it's a little too cozy for my comfort. Yeah. You know, but a lot of my friends seem to have no problem, you know so that was always funny it was you know funny to me in that sense so I was like how do I you know address it it could be an interesting way to kind of address and, and have that in this film because it is kind of it's a thing that like yeah it's a it's a weird thing you're just like did I just hear it?
0: Yeah, I, you know literally I felt somebody uh, kick me in the side of the face when I heard it I was like yeah it was just like uh, yeah and I was like <laughs> whoa man he went there yeah you just don't see that often you know
1: yeah. Well, it's like, it. it if, maybe ever. Can, you know, if ever, exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's other ref, I'm sure there's something, but yeah, for us, you know, it just reflected, you know, again, the things that I saw and, and heard and, and things. So it's like, I'm not, you know, the film doesn't condone it. Well, I don't condone yeah. it, but yeah. it is a thing and we, we should rest it and put it, you know, put it front and center and have, have it as a, as a, as a moment in story. Um, uh, and yeah, so it's, 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 there's, yeah, I never felt any, no one ever had any pushback or even as we were, ever put, you know, coming through, it was like, they just want white actors. <laughs> it's just like, oh my, that was the only thing that they really wanted. Like, everything else was fine, I guess, though. Yeah.
0: You know, that that word is, um, you know, I have so many layers of, of mixed emotions with that word because, you know, what, what we never get to discuss about, and I talk about it with Bowen, you know, we talk about it a lot that okay i i get that there's these historical layers to that word and i i think that there's um all of this pain and suffering associated with the word. but as it has evolved in the mainstream culture and the way it's used sometimes it's sort of like this um word that's cool the way they you know blacks oh are, yeah right
1: oh yeah we don't have- we're talking about the n-word so there's no yeah. mystery like i'm not sure we actually we're talking about the n-word so people know where, yes yes yeah yeah, yeah. We- dude just the other night we were i was at a we were at we were out uh at a bar and like these uh three three guys were getting uh kind of like a little excited <laughs> as yeah. as you do at a bar and and they were not black but they were like Yo, oh, you know and they were just throwing throwing it quite freely to each other um and they they weren't white but they were like hispanic and you know they they were brown you know in some sense but that word was you know being used very freely to each other and i was like okay yeah so i mean it's out in, it's in it's out of the world like it, it exists and people use it so yeah it's, it's a very
0: contextually right it's changed yeah like in a big big way but the roots of the word is you know there's a lot of pain there's a lot of suffering but at the end of the day yeah. like we 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 use it sometimes with the word we, when we use say ninja right and i think that's yeah
1: that's
0: <laughs> i you know I'm so mixed about that word because it's yeah. like it it's it's almost like where there there's got to be it's such um Oh yeah. Like there's yeah. no courage or no spine behind that word, but if you go in the other way and you really use the N word, then, <laughs> then it's not acceptable as, as well. But we don't have that sort of, you know, and I don't know if it exists in other languages, you know, but that particular word that Americans share, and especially kids that grew up in the hood around, you know, the African American community, it's such a a mixed word. Um, and then, you know, to have the Asian kids use it in the work in the film, it's you know, I, I it's something that I don't know, if it's talked about a lot in. Have you seen people talk about it after the, the film?
1: Um, I've seen some comments like re- reviews and, and, and there were some folks that did come up and talk about it. I think what I've seen is as a whole, it, it might be also generational um and there's i think what did, what would i say um i think i've noticed asian americans seem to have more issues with it younger asian americans mm. and um and i don't want to i don't know is it that pc culture that's also kind of touching on and like just kind of like you know th- you know there's also there's kind of a sentiment where like if we don't talk about an issue, it doesn't exist. Like it's like, but we should talk about. It. Let's reveal with each other. Let's bring it out in the open and debate and have this. And I think that's more healthy. But you know, just that people say like, oh, it's uh, it just seemed unnecessary. Like you shouldn't have it. It's like but in the story, like the characters are are saying it for a reason because yeah. to me, these characters are reflection of the the older folks. You know, they they're reminding them of how how much of a punk ass they were. Yeah. um and all that so it's like that to me it's a story point i didn't just throw it out there just to like be provocative or anything it's like right. it's like i'm trying to tell something here um so there's that and then like there's there are you know yeah i think other people found uh the way it was presented to be fair because it's it's not just like it's not a one-liner like it's it, there's an arc throughout that yeah. scene uh, that it, it does become a thing where even you know the actor yeah you know Mikel, you know is using it and then you know there's there's this other scene as well so there's there's kind of a story arc that that feels like it's, it's treated fairly it's so yeah. i think that yeah so i think there people can kind of see that so i i think that's what we were going for as well yeah. but yeah it is a dance like to me that was all the dance between that but also the moods and tones and genre like we were all like just dancing on a on a table just trying to you know make sure it all works and maybe it doesn't and maybe it does but like that we were aware of it and we were trying so
0: yeah it works for me works very yeah
1: cool thank you yeah Yeah. very
0: well for me yeah um another thing that works very well for me is the meditation um Hmm. again i i don't think i'm giving away any spoilers but for me yeah uh i look for themes and films and you know broadly speaking uh meditation was a, a focus right like this idea of you know, if your life is messy, if it's all over the place and, you know, what I got from it is, hey, you know, let's what's important, figure out what's important and take a step back or a few steps back and 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 grind it out so you can figure out what the focus is. And once you get that focus and it just kind of felt that way throughout the film was like finding your center. Um, do you have what because for somebody to for somebody to write that for somebody to be able to direct that for me you kind of have to practice meditation to understand on an, on that level without giving too much away but it it that felt like the spine of the film for me i, I that's where i walked away going wow that's it, it resonated very well with me um this theme of meditation so do you practice it do you, is this something that you've um been engaged with for a lot of your life
1: yeah, well, a lot of the martial arts kind of training is number one physical, but it does have uh kind of your mental and your spiritual kind of uh aspects as well. So meditation is kind of a, a major component in 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 martial arts. Meditation is a major part in, in martial arts. And it seems to be a bit different from what I've seen, some phrase from some uh, you know, even just spiritual, or religious type of meditation, because I think it's a little, it's a little different. It's it's basically kind of like. Going up the same mountain, if you will, but it is kind of like there's different. So, um, it's, I guess what I was saying, is, it's interesting for me. I was you, you try to find this oasis even in the midst of chaos. So, it's uh, especially with filmmaking, it's just so very busy, right? You don't really have, you know, that quiet time. You yeah. can't really set apart, which is fine. You know, when people do. Some people do. I think isn't David Lynch really into like transcendental, you know, meditation? Yeah. So he's rich and he's fine (laughs) he has time so (laughs) for us hustlers man you and i we don't we don't have time for this (laughs) um but um um but yeah so i was found like martial arts interesting because it was meditation and movement versus like sitting and just like you know yeah being at at zen peace or you know tai chi or all those like chinese tai chi bagua and chi like these are kind of meditation and movements and really focus on how you can embrace your your world changing and you're moving and your whole perspective is changing and how to meditate within that uh in that movement so i i found that really compelling and that was really helpful to kind of give me the sense of it's not just like being at zeroing out your thoughts and pushing everything away but it's really embracing everything that's around you and being at peace with that do you know what i mean so it's like some like, people think of some people as meditation. It's like just clear your head and like serenity now, like serenity, <laughs> that yeah. type of like thing. But it's like, uh, you know, there. I think there's some maxim where it's like, you know, if a thought comes in, don't push it away. Like just see it and welcome it and like let it go. Like just like someone walking by. Just yeah. and if a thought another other so you don't get upset over distractions. You actually kind of let it all kind of flow and and become part of that flow state or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a huge part for this character, Danny, because he has just so many conflicting loyalties and these things that are happening kind of yeah. back and forth. And, you know, for him, his challenge is to be able to kind of, can he accept this all into, you know, a harmony state uh, and be able to kind of, like, uh, be his best self when he's able to kind of put, up, put that all together. Um, and that was a challenging thing, because even the actor, because even the way it's written, is like Danny is, to me, like, you know, the whole thing of like code switching, you know, that like Absolutely. I have, I think, right. We behave certain circles because of our, our contacts and all. So he, him at home, he's kind of the dad, but he's flaky because he can. And he, he Sorry, Paul, am I in? Yeah, so if like our character, Danny, he kind of comes at this uh, thing where, where he code switches and um, you know, he's a dad, but he's also, get away with it because this kid can't push back right you know so he can kind of like do the things that he needs to do to get his agenda in but when he meets Charts brothers they he can't BS them you know he cannot escape you know because they know him too well in that sense right and same with his wife he can kind of play his games and kind of like do all the things but yeah. in front of his brothers you know there's no uh he's account he is also with the older brother the Dicey so now he's that leader whereas before he was more of a follower avoider. So now it's like has that interesting kind of like thing. So to me, it's like these these two two energies that are kind of coming together, right, right. eventually to kind of come. So that's the challenge of the the third act to try to bring it all together. And I'll tell you, like Danny, the or Elaine, the actor, really hard to understand where the character was going because usually actors want to kind of know, map out, you yeah. know, where where they are in the story really and find true. that arc. But the best way I could tell him was like, this guy's like two steps forward, one step back, like it's it's never a queen. Like he never, he's like, Ugh. you know, he's that's like. A, that's a new
0: yeah, with this character. Yeah,
1: and I think that's what it is because it's, it's a, it is it's a thing where like only when you're like forced, you know, kicking and screaming to like actually into action, you know, then you have to do something. And that's the interesting thing. Sometimes I think about, you know, do we really do things because we want to or because we have to? Like, and I think that's an interesting dynamic. Sometimes when we do things because we have to, it gets us through the other side. And maybe that's a very Asian way of thinking or Asian-American thing of thinking. Because sometimes I think people get caught up like, I only do it because I believe in it. I want to do something. It's like, you no, know, sometimes you got to go mow the lawn. Sometimes you got to go like fix the toilet. You know, you don't want to do it, but you, you're going to do it, right? So that's the action really, and a, intention, yeah. yeah.
0: It's a really good point. I mean, I think in the arts for me, like 80 to, 80% of the work we do is things that you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. The might be the the fun part not even 15 i think five yeah the hatching of the idea and sitting and bullshitting <laughs> about the idea is the fun part right oh yeah oh yeah when you got to like roll up your sleeves to go get the funding or you have to sit and write or you have to turn the camera on to actually do the work it's a grind it's a yep. true grind yep. um yeah
1: and you well, know i think back to yeah well i think back to you know our families are just kind of like that like i can't I, it's a huge thing to have you know like my dad who had a career he was a teacher and then like to the, end up ripping yeah. away from your country and resetting essentially and, and doing something maybe you don't want to do I'm, I'm sure he didn't want to be an office worker but he had to for his family you know uh so but that wasn't what he had very yeah. basically you know 35 years of his life to do you know right so it's like you know th- so i'm very conscious I, 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 yeah i don't like to talk about movies it's like, my dream i always want to always like it's like it just feels a little like eh, maybe that's an asian guilt coming in like i, I don't like this. it's like i just feel like i have a it's a it's a it's a it's a craft and it's a calling you know to be a storyteller and i i take that seriously in that sense
0: what other um genres are you sort of gonna i mean do you find yourself sticking with this sort of genre for a while or do you have other stories genres do you that you want to
1: explore uh are are we talking about kung fu as a genre or the kind of the approach i guess
0: a kung fu as a genre
1: yeah um yeah i mean I, i feel like i've said what i needed to say about kung fu with the film i i wouldn't close the door uh i know a lot of people are interested kind of see what's next but yeah i would have other stories that are that are interesting but i think in the same vein kind of like i like I don't really like straightforward dramas. I don't really like straightforward comedy. So I think the general sense of like it would be, you know, the kind of the way that would be an honest way I see the world. And it it might be funny and it might be dramatic, but I, you yeah, know, that's the way I kind of see the next idea then.
0: But you're not gonna go out and make a romantic comedy or you know, some you know, movies chick flick like things that I like. Yeah, watch. it was a studio
1: film for you, for you, yeah, totally. <laughs> My phone, it's not ringing. It's the yeah, then yeah, let's make it happen. Um, yeah, to me, it's the story. Like, to me, it's like, uh, you know, Billy Wilder's like my movie god, like, just the ability that he could do with film noir, romantic comedy, uh, you know, satirical, you know, uh, war movies and uh, thrillers. Like, you just that's to me as a a storyteller, like, you're not, you know, use no form as form, like, not have any of these things, and just kind of do. You're, you do you and if a story interests you and and, and and i hope we're at a better state but i think before we were really into typecasting you know filmmakers or, you know stay in this lane or stay in that lane so I, I i can see um things hopefully changing or at least you know people are at least more willing to have entertain other stories from filmmakers because i think we all feel pretty pretty open about
0: what it. about vietnam you ever going to go back and work there for a while or live there
1: yeah, Vietnam's always exciting. I mean, like, I think it was only because I felt the story was an Native American story that it kind of like took my attention. So, I mean, if there's a project that I have to do in Vietnam, definitely an option. I mean, it's so energetic. Like, I, I there's if anyone, anyway, it's such a word. Anyone that's been out there, maybe it's it, uh, it'd be hard to kind of explain to anyone who hasn't been out there. It has just an exuberance and energy, and like can do it, can, can do it to nativeness. <laughs> that's just really fresh. And they're almost like you know, it's just such a that young generation is just so like, um. They just see so much opportunity ahead of them, and I'm like, oh, what's that like? And that's just it's just really cool to see young people have hope and want to do things and tell stories. And if not for like censorship, the movies could be so much better. And and because the talent is all there, so as an environment, it's it's really interesting. Um. So yeah, the stories that I have, you know. definitely be around that i don't have anything but you know it was definitely on the table it's always there always there for me
0: yeah that's good to hear it's good to hear i'd love to be be there forever and and you know live there and breathe the air there and 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 be a part of the fabric of society there you know that's oh yeah my dream always been um what's what's next for you
1: well, it's hard. Yeah, we're we're birthing this movie. I mean, we were just released here at uh, we had opening weekend, and for an indie film, you know, it's just still go go go. It's not like you can't just kind of let let it be uh, out in the wild like that. You still have to kind of promote it, nurture it. We were how week, do whole weekend of our premiere screenings, uh, in person. This is like the first time we've been able to see this yeah. movie with an audience. You know, we had a whole virtual film festival tour, and we were uh, you know at home and just virtually so. This, we're cramming all of our like travel and the fun that we have from film festivals into like you know this these few weeks here that we have in our theatrical run. Uh, so it's just been promoting that. I it, I would like to sit down and kind of like cone of silence and start to to write and think about next project. I have kind of like batting around a few ideas right now, but it's like it's it's, it's a little hard to say, you know exactly what it like. Again, it's not fully formed yet for me to speak to. But uh, um, yeah, I got some some. I hope, I hope this movie does well so I have some leverage so that we don't have to spend another 10 years making
0: it. <laughs> yeah, where, where can people catch it?
1: Uh, Well, they can catch it in theaters uh, nationwide or on VOD. So we had a whole wide release on all the platforms. So you can go to www.thepapertigersmovie.com. Uh, you can find all the information on going to theaters or seeing it online. Uh, I got to say, the theater experience uh, cannot be beat. I think for all of us, yeah, you know, sure. that's the why we made the movie and, and had that Obviously, pandemic, the Times disclaimer, do, do you, do what's safe and do do whatever you think, you know, you're comfortable with. But you can rent private rooms, private movie theaters, you know, for your squad or your people. So there's options for that, too. Um, but the theater on a the big screen and sound with people like you, it can't be beat. like I think that's what where this movie kind of shines best yeah. as far as like that experience.
0: You know, Lee Ngo and and Bao Win always have these two. They they always uh, there's they they always have this inside joke because Lee watched uh, some Nolan film on you know the the little back of the 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 air, airplane uh, screen. And <laughs> yeah, ba, it just drives Bao crazy, and I'm like, this is not that movie to do that. You know, so just shout <laughs> out to Lee and to Bao. You know, Hey, Paper Tigers is not a movie to watch on on the airplane,
1: um, Lee. <laughs> yeah yeah lee no but still though buy it or rent it however you want like we're not stopping you <laughs> but we hide you can do all of it hey what's we'll, we'll stopping you from doing it all but the yeah the theater experience is, is special and i think it's really fun because i think you know hopefully our country is uh getting back on its feet and gradually kind of getting to space but that's some of the sentiments that i've heard uh from people it's like this is the best movie to watch coming out of you know that's lockdown neat. and coming out of the pandemic it's just like that type thing and and again, that's an example of the movie kind of like being out in the world and now it's the people's. Like it was my movie 10 years for 10 years, but now it's everybody. So I never imagined a pandemic release. I never imagined, you know, this type of stop Asian hate uh in the midst of all this stuff. So but now it's become, you know, this this other thing. So I'm so happy to kind of see it start walking on its own and going to school and getting a job and <laughs> it's just this. I love this. I love seeing this movie being its own, its own person. So
0: I had a, a wonderful time. Uh, the action sequences were natural and they felt right. Right on. It wasn't uh, some crazy ass like things that you can't believe. And these are things that you felt like, you know. I watch a lot of MMA, so it it just feels like it was just the right amount where you could feel the story moving along and having this action, and it just feels very organic to watch this uh, this sort of the style of of martial arts that you did. You know, it feels very good. It feel, felt very. Again, natural
1: and organic the way you know you did it. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what we always kind of go for. It's like when, you know, I think maybe out of function form and function, we we think we couldn't afford wire work or anything. I was like that was all always off the table. But uh we also kind of knew intentionally, you know, what is what is dad foo, you know, what is that what does that look like? You know, what does it mean to be out of shape and, and like yeah lose a few steps, you know? So we always call it like Shaw Brothers in a street fight. So mm-hmm. you did have kind of kung fu flavor, but you still are losing your footing, you're slipping, you're falling. And so yeah. it's kind of a new territory for us creatively too, which was to me interesting, you know, working with our action director, uh, Ken Kitigua, is just that whole deconstruction because action films and especially Hong Kong film, we know just the beauty and the aesthetics, the perfection of it all is, um, you know, part of our training. Cause you know, Corey, like I kind of grew up in that school of training, right? But now how to undo that or go away from nice. that for kind of like, uh, you know, Dirty it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, a so that's bit.
0: that's what I that's what I was feeling. I just didn't know how to explain it. I, cool, dirty yeah. it up of it. It's that's yeah. what made it feel organic. That these old fuckers were trying to do some <laughs> shit and they couldn't do it. That's what it was. Yeah. That, that's what felt so organic. Thank you for explaining that and getting it. Yeah. No wonder I'm like sitting here trying to figure out why did it feel so natural, you know? Because you're seeing these old guys trying to like it's, they're stumbling around. But the deconstruction of it, the, the the making it seem like it's part of you know an old man's body, and it it worked really really well. So yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's a yeah, we def- magic of what you do.
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely about trying to tell that story. Like you know, I always feel like you know if you're taking out when uh, you know suddenly this this wire work comes in when the movie or the universe isn't established yet. You know in a wuxia crouching tiger you know it makes sense yeah you know, but suddenly, you'll see a fight scene that you know where the characters haven't done that yet it doesn't feel right so you always want to put that hand glove and hand type of design around action action design is just like production design it's just like cinematography like every you have to like be at service of the story um so that's kind of like a something that we were very intent on doing but also it was unknown territory right you yeah know, no one had really done this before so are we doing it right i don't know but we had to kind of check ourselves and deconstruct our own skills and craft you know it's like hold on like sometimes we would do we would take a take that wasn't the best take you know that was like a little off the kick was right. a little you know not the perfect beautiful angle but that was the better take for the story wow. so we would use that yeah and then like even the actors you know like just trying to like get them ron you know he uh ron yuan who plays out Hing, you know he gained weight for the role wow. you know and he out of everybody uh, out of the tigers is the most experienced martial artist um and uh you know even him gaining the, gaining weight in the span of like six weeks for the role like it changed the way he moved it changed the way he could kick, and even he could feel like not being able to kick as fast as he yeah, could so like, it, it, it definitely point informed point that out. performance you know
0: you know, uh, one one last thing, details about the film and the white headbands. That, yeah. that is not a Kung Fu martial arts thing. That's, I think, I don't know, this is my perspective. That's a, a Vietnamese thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, or like a, Ch- yeah, Asian American, Chinese, Vietnamese, that kind of like final spinal Viet culture thing. Um, yeah.
0: You know, wearing the... the white well, hat.
1: yeah, Kung Fu culture also kind of, takes up on a lot of you know that as well
0: yeah is that so so did you take that out of the sort of like you know full um traditions of the vietnam i guess i'm asking just to clarify because i i feel like that's more like a a vietnamese thing or is it a shared thing a shared tradition in across you know the funeral tradition as well as a martial arts tradition in in chinese culture I, i i wanted to know
1: yeah, it's all of the above. I think it's also, this is kind of where we are as an Asian American, because I love, I love the scene because when Danny and Hing come, like they don't really know their place. And I think we know that experience when we kind of like, there's this whole ritual and you're like, I don't know the rules. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, yeah. And the parents and the aunties and the uncles are like, you gotta do this, you know, like yeah. like, And it's like, okay, but what's the rule? Like no one really like ruled a manual. And even older folks, you know, you know, even like some of them need to be coached by the grand right, folks correct. about what the thing is. But like when I look at it, it's funny to me because like nobody knows what everybody says, like, don't do this because it's not auspicious or whatever. Like, yeah, I just feel like it's just random rule at a certain point. But so I felt freedom in that where you could kind of construct because even among kung fu funerals, it's different. A Taiwanese kung fu funeral is different from a Hong Kong kung fu funeral and yada, yada, even the styles between clans between like, so there was no. Kind of rule set and kind of jumping over to the other side about kung fu like kung fu is like you know a broad term because there's so many styles of kung fu there's yeah it's really you know chinese martial arts is probably the broader the more specific a, a better way of saying it but essentially if it's a martial art practice in china or china's diaspora that's kung fu and so you we knew a lot of masters would watch and like take apart like what is not pure kung fu like the whole Thing of like uh how many kung fu masters does it take uh uh to change a light bulb right it's like you know one but 99 would say no that's not how we do it right <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. so it's all that's like the same thing here like in funeral traditions like it could vary from region to region so i i never felt like we had to kind of like get it really specific but as long as it, it felt like it was something then it in it, that univers- universality of it um uh, but it was more about like feeling out of place and stuff like that. Got it, and, got it.
0: Yeah, it fit. But yeah.
1: the white, the white cloth is a pretty common element through, you know, whether it's a Chinese or Vietnamese funeral and stuff like that. Got it. Um, but uh, it's funny you mentioned, yeah, I was just mentioning to my, my white producer, we have one token white guy producer, uh, because we need him to like go talk to the cops while we're shooting. So <laughs> he's, he's that guy for us. Um, but I was just, yeah. I, he, he's seen the movie, you know, a thousand times now, and I just asked him like a couple days ago. It's like, does that mean anything to you? Like when you see the, the white cloth, or he was like, well, you know, and then for folks who have seen it, it's like he feels like it's a faux pas or like something's wrong, but he doesn't really know that. But I think for Asian people who see that, it's like a different it hits differently, right?
0: Yeah. When um, it, so we were kids, we <laughs> were not allowed to wear white. Uh, claws uh, you know rambo we watched a movie but yeah red headband. Yep. we we had white headbands laying around as sheets and we'd cut them up and we'd put them, we put we we get our ass beat for putting you know for, for putting those on because that was like bad luck that like you could die in essence that you know that's not something you culturally you were not allowed to do
1: it yeah huge yeah for us so that's kind of like where we were weaving not only um you know as a genre of film as you know all these genres but also like who's our audience and who's that centered uh storytelling and audience for because uh a lot of the chinese and stuff we don't put subtitles on right we don't we don't explain and there's vietnamese and i didn't want to put any subtitles when the there's characters speaking vietnamese because it's like number one it's like i'm trying to create this certain world where it's like you know kind of reflects uh, a lot of us like you know i hang out with All my asian friends and they'll talk on their phone like i don't know what they're saying but you know they're talking freely so i want to have that kind of experience where we don't have complete access to each other just yet or at that moment um but even that idea of sort you know the white culture was like if it's white people how much do we have to explain that or handhold essentially and and point that but if it's an asian audience that kind of gets it like we don't need to you know we can get on with it you know i mean so i think there's also kind of like that perspective that is you know, part of our, our decision and how we tell the story that, that we were kind of aware of how to how to do that. And those choices are conscious, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, one of my favorite characters was Carter.
1: <laughs> yeah. My wife and I, we I read a lot of people's
0: favorite characters. We love that character. It was just like, God, you know, you run into, you run into that sort of person all the time, <laughs> you know? My, my wife was in Chinese medicine school here in LA for, for a few years. And there were so many types. She identified with that character so much. She she had, she was so attached to that character. And we you know we had a, every time he'd come on, we'd like it was, and it made me. I, I wanted to ask you: Is he a comedic actor or is he a martial artist? I mean, he played both of them very well, right? He's like perfectly casted for that role.
1: Yes, he was perfect. So Matthew Page is the actor okay. for that, and um. He has like a sketch, uh, YouTube mm-hmm. show, which is super funny. It's called Enter the dojo. Uh, he does play like this pretentious white Kung Fu mat uh-huh. or karate master, it makes sense, but dude. it's a, it's a bit of a different take. It's almost like that, uh, fist flip way and kind of like, it's super funny. It's, it's hilarious. Um, it's very, um, you know, high energy and stuff like that. But he, he, he um, we saw a sketch and we just loved it. And we saw, his, uh, you know, big fans of the show. So we just reached out. That was an easy cast. Like, like this guy got to play this character. Um, so and he also is uh, yeah thank you yeah uh, he's also a working actor so he does like go out uh he's uh, out of new mexico uh so he does you know do shows that regular you know parts and, and working working actor uh so it was just that uh, great he was he had the martial arts chops he had the acting chops and the comic shop so it's like it just all worked out and yeah. of have him be part of that movie
0: it's like born to to play that specific character and just yeah it, and yeah that, the comedic his rhythm is comedic rhythm was just like spot on you know <laughs>
1: spot on. yeah him and ron were going at it it was hilarious I mean, we were it was just like all the like alt takes we have tons of alt takes for that and they were just like spinning gold um but yeah actually so it just it's it's funny because we go back to the the whole whitewashing and that we have studios yeah. that want to change it but it's like you have one great white character it's like do you really want them all like it's it was that was to me to me like did you even read the script because right. we have one weight great white character right right and right. it's a really compelling character in the script, and he and he does stuff and it, it's but uh it, yeah it's it, it, that was kind of like an interesting mind-boggling moment really to have that confusion or you know, to want all the parts you know
0: uh, i'll end with this um i can see the level of detail and attention the attention to detail that you have um through the casting, the writing, the way you shoot this. It's very well made and I'm impressed and I'm very proud of the work that you've done, you know, from a member of the community. Um, I applaud the, the film and I hope, you know, everybody gets to go out and watch it um, at one point or another in there in the next you know year, you know, because it's going to be out there in VOD. And um, thank you so much for for actually having the persistence of vision to to, to really finish it. And thank you, you know, for putting it out there in the world for all of us to um, to, to to consume and enjoy. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, those wonderful words. Um, like I said, like now the movie is in its own stage of being it's on yeah. its own. So we're, I'm just really excited to kind of see how it how it's received and and be out there because we we've, we've you know spent ten years in the lab uh, talking about it amongst ourselves, but it's a whole nother thing to kind of open it up. And and so I'm just thrilled and over the moon to see you know the whole audience reaction. So this whole, we're just excited to share it with everyone.
0: Yeah. And I'm grateful for the time that you've spent with me today too, as well. Thank you so much, Bao. I really appreciate it. My pleasure.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, man.
0: Wonderful. We'll talk soon. Thank you again. All right. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Poenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Fam, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening.